And so now we thought, we thought, you know, the commentators who have been watching this for a long time, we thought, man, once interest rates go to zero, that's it, game over. But now they've gone less than zero. They're negative. And so we have over half of the sovereign world's government is paying negative interest rates. $17 trillion is literally worth less than zero. That means $17 trillion, I'm not earning interest on that money. I'm actually paying people to take that money. Here, take my money. I'll pay you to take my money. $17 trillion is like that. And so when you understand that's what's happening and the only option that, the, that these central banks have is to print more money, well, how is that going to work? The printing of the money is what's destroying the system in the first place. And so the only option they have is to print more. And so, yeah, it's, it's going to destroy the entire system. It's going to have a complete meltdown and, and something new is going to be built. Thanks for watching this RTD interview. Don't forget to pick up your RTD Scary George Round, only available at stboyer.com. Now enjoy this interview. Welcome to Thinking a Dollar. Today I'm excited to have first-time guest, Mr. Mark Moss. He's a financial analyst as well as an investor as well as a YouTube commentator. And today he's joined us to share his thoughts on the economy, the financial markets, and a variety of other subject matters. So Mark, welcome to Rethinking a Dollar. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Uh, appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you taking time to sit down with us and, and share your thoughts. And so prior to us, you know, going live here, um, I had a, we had a great chance to get, just get caught up and to familiarize ourselves with the importance of education. And you do a good job of educating your audience. And so definitely want to connect you with mine and definitely uh, have you give a better perspective or a unique perspective, because I think you, know, you give a very positive uh, message as to how change is occurring, but yet it's opportunities available for everybody. So um, I'm curious to find out your thoughts. Uh, you know, what comes to mind when Mark Moss hears the words, rethinking a dollar? Well, I would say that right now we are in a really transitional period in time. And I think that uh, we're in a super interesting period of time. Most people don't realize that. And I, I would imagine that in 50 or 100 years from now, um, history books will be written about this period right here. Um, and so um, what they're going to be rewriting about is rethinking the dollar. Like, what the heck were they thinking, right? Like, 5,000 years of history, we had, you know, gold, sound money as, as a monetary system. For 50 years, they went off the rails with this crazy fiat money experiment and uh, turned their dollar into worthless money. And not only that, took away all the education so people had no idea what was going on. And look how it exploded on them. <laughs> and so we're in this period, we're in this transitional period, and everybody needs to rethink what money is. And I, and I guess that's also rethinking the dollar. All right, sounds good. I appreciate that. Now, when it comes to education, uh, as you mentioned, it's, it's, unfortunately, we didn't learn a lot of this information that we're starting to uh, be presented with in school. And so in your opinion, how important right now, you know, is it for people to actually grab a hold of monetary education? and the linkage of financial education as well. I mean, it's, 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 it's definitely one of the most important things. I mean, I think uh, time is our most scarce resource and they don't teach us anything about time management. Uh, and money, of course, is basically our lifeblood and, and they don't teach us anything about money. And, it, and it's, I, I'd, I would say it's a shame, but I believe it's almost purposeful, right? They don't want you to understand. As a matter of fact, back in the early 1900s, Henry Ford was quoted as saying that if, if the uh, people knew how the banking system worked, there would be a revolt overnight. 
Um, and that was early 1900s. Imagine how distorted it is since then. And so they don't want you to know. And so I'd say it's a shame, but it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's worse than that, but um, it's super important, you know, and, and uh, I talk a lot about the dollar money, uh, specifically in regards to Bitcoin usually, uh, because Bitcoin is definitely one of the challengers to change this monetary system. And a lot of times people don't understand what uh, or why it's needed because they don't understand how bad our monetary system really is. And so um, it's kind of like if you don't understand there's a problem in the first place, you can't go seek a solution. And so without having uh, education, and unfortunately without people getting their own education into this, um, they're never going to be able to solve the problem. I do agree. Now, let's get into some of the problems. And so uh, just today, it looks like the EU is looking to drop rates and begin the QE process. So that's going to take on a whole new world of itself because it's showing that signs that the system is basically cracking at the very foundation of it. And so you know, on your end, as an investor, as a commentator and as an educator, you know, what are some things that you know, probably has you more concerned now than anything else? Any particular subjects that really, you're really focusing on yourself? Well, I did a two-part video series on the end of the dollar recently on the YouTube channel. And uh, I talked about, I, had, I did it over two, two videos because it was kind of long. And I kind of talked about how the, the, the world reserve currency, which the dollar is today, has transitioned from, from country to country about every hundred years. And, you know, we traced it back about four or five hops. The last one coming from Britain to the United States. And, and the reason why I wanted to break down how the dollar took over from the sterling um, in the 1900s was because it's important to understand how that process happened. And because kind of like the question that you're asking right now, what's the thing that has me the most concerned? And the point that I made outlining that change is that it doesn't happen with a bang. It goes out with a whimper. And so the process lasted about 30 years of moving from Sterling. So um, today we're in a very similar process and it's not just one thing that has me concerned. It's seeing all the things lining up and continuing. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so we know the dollar was the real world reserve currency, but it's been losing that status. And some of the things just a couple quick things, if I, instead of one, but a couple quick things would be um, so the United States made a deal with uh, Saudi Arabia to put all oil in, in dollars, priced in dollars. And that's how it's managed to retain its control. But what happened is now oil has spread past Saudi Arabia. And as much as the United States has tried to force people to use dollars, um, in 2015, our enemies, Russia and China, decided to start, decided to start um, selling oil outside of the dollar. Mm -hmm. And so that weakened the dollar. Boom. That was a big one. 2015. Um, the United States has managed to control the dollar still because we have our SWIFT banking system. It's if you send a wire, you have to have a SWIFT code. And the SWIFT system is how we move money. And all the world governments are on the SWIFT system. And the US, we slap sanctions. Oh, sanctions on you and sanctions on you. And Iran, we don't like you, sanctions on you. And basically what we're doing is we're kicking them out of the financial system. And that's really bad for them if we kick them out. Um, the problem is if you have a party and you kick everyone out, at the end of the day, you're the only one left at the party. And so we've been kicking people out of the financial system. And um, early this year, in January of this year, the, the, Euro the EU, European Union, announced that they were creating a, a, a different SWIFT system, one called Instex. And it went live in, I believe, July of this year. And now it's not just our enemies, China and Russia, dealing outside the U.S. dollar. Now even our allies have created a financial system outside the U.S. dollar. 
Um, and so we're starting to see the dollar lose its dominance like super fast right before our very eyes. Um, so th- those are a couple of the signs that I'm watching that, that, are, that are pretty serious. Right. So you're, so you're ultimately describing the de-dollarization process of, you know, the world de-dollarizing at an alarming pace and it's in, done in incremental steps as you listed. Now, as part of the next phase of the monetary system, in your opinion, what are some things that might be rolled out as options or will we go back and, and continue the model of, you know, the sterling, the dollar, whether it be like a Chinese situation or, or what are your thoughts? What are, what are some things that you think could be possibilities? Well, we're in an interesting time because, as you said, the de-dollarization. However, as bad as the dollar is, the other countries are trying to make their currencies even worse. So, I mean, all the other countries are, are, are devaluing their, their currencies even further. And so, even though the dollar is still so bad, it's still like the prettiest girl at the dance. And uh, I think it was last night President Trump tweeted um, that he, he's tweeting to the central bank, the Fed, to um, lower interest rates to zero or less is what he said. Um, so basically, he's telling the central bank to go to negative interest rates because the rest of the world is. And if the rest of the world is, we need to do the same. Um, and that's crazy. And that's a different topic. But um, back to your question, like, where does this go? You know, because all the other currencies are so bad, I don't see another one taking over. When the U.S. took over from Britain, the Britain was became a debtor and the U.S. became the largest creditor. And so we had the strongest monetary system. We had, we had the gold. Um, today, nobody's really doing that. We have seen... Um, China and Russia have both been accumulating massive amounts of gold. China has been accumulating the mass, the most, the most gold rumors are they're trying to at least somewhat reback their currency with gold so they could get into the world stage. So, uh, for those that don't know, each country has a central bank, the central bank creates their dollars and tries to manage the money supply. Then there's a central bank for the central banks. That's the BIS. And the BIS controls a basket of currencies called SDR, special drawing rights. And Basically, the, the, the BIS, the Central Bank of Central Banks, decides how much of each currency goes into this basket of currency. And China has been really trying to get their currency into this basket more than um, it has been. And so where do I think it's going to go back to your question? I don't see any one currency taking over. Um, we saw that, at, that all the central bankers of the world met a week or two ago in Wyoming. And Mark Carney, head of the Bank of, of England, said, got up and said, we need to get rid of the US dollar. We need to get rid of the dollar dominance. What we need, and he said it, what we need is something like Facebook Libra. Didn't say Facebook Libra, he said something like it. And what that means is Facebook Libra is a cryptocurrency that's backed by a basket of currencies. And so that's what he, I think, was suggesting. We need a cryptocurrency that's backed by a basket of currencies. And the basket of currencies seems to be what the BIS has, which is the SDRs, which is everybody recognizes that. So that would be my guess as to where it goes. But what my hope is, is what my hope is, is that this is enough to wake people up to go, wait, what the heck is going on here? And it will create um, competitive systems. So if right now, whatever country you're in, you're basically stuck with that currency. Once we go to a system like this, what I hope is that we have alternatives. So you know what? I don't like that currency that this BIS is presenting. So I'm going to use Facebook Libra or I'm going to use Bitcoin or I'm going to use this other stable coin or I'm going to use whatever it is that I want to use. And I hope that my hope is that we get this, this competition. Mm-hmm. Now that's, that's very, that's a great viewpoint to have. My question would be as far as Uncle Sam, the government, when it comes time to collect taxes, um, you know, what's the likelihood of them uh, 
wanting to receive taxation in a variety of different sources as opposed to being the primary issuer of whatever the legal tender might be in this country here? You know, most people aren't going to understand that question because <laughs> they don't really understand how the way it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, just super quick. I mean, imagine, imagine going back to when um, the, 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 basically this fiat money system, the bank, the, the IRS was created back in like 1913. And imagine these bankers sitting around going, Hmm, gold is money, but we want people to use this fake piece of paper. But why would anybody ever use this piece of paper? I mean, it's fake. Why would anybody use it? I have a good idea. What we'll do is we'll make people work all year to go collect these fake pieces of paper. So at the end of the year, they have to bring them back to us, right? That's what the IRS is. And so uh, it's important for people to understand that, to preface that question. But back to your question, because of that, that's how they get people to use the fake money system is to make them collect it, to bring it back. Um, If they were to accept their tax payments and all these different currencies, as you, as you asked, they would lose the power of, of this fake currency and so they're not going to give that up, right? Not, not unless they have to. Um, so, you know, they could say, hey, you have to pay us back in dollars for taxes, but that doesn't mean that I can't use all these different money systems. That just means when it comes time to pay taxes, I convert whatever I'm using into dollars and pay it back. Right. But I'm not holding that. So like in Venezuela, we talked about earlier, like their, their money's losing value so fast. Um, so if I was able to hold a different currency to store that value, and then at the day taxes are due, I convert and pay, I could be okay with that. But yeah, they're probably not going to want to accept all these different currencies. Now let's talk about current conditions we're in now. Um, a lot of people say recession, economic depression. A lot of people are painting this next um, monetary or financial hiccup as being something that will be historical in nature because of the tenure artificial creation of policy implementation and all the stuff that we're, you know, becoming victims of now. And you're looking ahead, you know, how, how problematic will this next economic slowdown be? I mean, it's going to be enormous. It's going to be bigger than anybody's ever imagined. Um, it's, it's, it's going to be a complete reset of the entire system. And uh, the, the question is when, right? We don't know when. And, and so trying to time these things is impossible. We don't know how much longer they can keep this thing going. But we know it's going to be massive because what we've seen in the past, like, you know, 2008, whatever, we saw the markets drop a little bit. But we're talking about a complete reset of the system. And, and, I, and again, you kind of have to understand what's going on to to grasp magnitude, but basically for the last, you know, 50, 60 years, really almost a hundred years, they've been print printing, they've been uh, inflating, right? So the, you hear the fed talk about, we need, we're not getting the inflation we need. We need more inflation. We need more inflation. What does that mean? So that's like a balloon, a balloon inflates or it deflates, right? So they want inflation. They want more money. And, and the way they get more money is through debt. So they create debt creation and it gets more money. And because the economy is shaky, nobody's taking as much debt as they want. So they're not getting as much inflation, as much creation as they want. And so um, they've been pumping more money, more money, more money. Now, what happens is when I've saved up my money, I have the option to loan that to you. And depending on where, what you're going to do with that money, how risky it is, I'm going to want money, like a interest back on that. Now, you're super risky. I want 15%. You're safer. I want 5% or whatever. And so we used to be able to put our money in the bank and earn interest. But today, there's been so much money created in the world, there's nowhere for it to go. Nobody wants the money. And so now, we thought, we thought you know, the commentators who have been watching this for a long time, we thought, man, once interest rates go to zero, that's it, game over. But now they've gone less than zero. They're negative. 
And so we have uh, over half of the sovereign world's government is paying negative interest rates. $17 trillion is literally worth less than zero. That means $17 trillion, I'm not earning interest on that money. I'm actually paying people to take that money. Here, take my money. I'll pay you to take my money. $17 trillion is like that. And so when you understand that's what's happening, um, and the only option that, the, that these central banks have is to print more money. Well, how is that going to work? The printing of the money is what's destroying the system in the first place. And so the only option they have is to print more. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's going to destroy the entire system. It's going to have a complete meltdown and, and something new is going to be built. Right. Now, as a part of the destruction of capital, because borrowing no longer pays a yield in a sense, when it comes to investing, there's a lot of people, um, trillions of dollars trapped in the system that's chasing, that's, that's, that's put there because it's intended to grow for people to basically one day retire upon or whatever it might be, but that's becoming problematic. So just from a, a sheer investment standpoint, if you can no longer go out and actually put money into things and have it grow, what are, what, what's some options for people to actually pursue, in your opinion, of course? Well, again, right. So I said that we don't know when this is going to happen. And so that's the thing. So we need to be ready for both things. We need to be ready to take advantage of this massive upside, but also be ready for the downside. So we need to be quick and nimble. Um, you were a basketball player, right? So like you got to switch from offense to defense really quickly and you have to be ready for that. As soon as they grab the ball, I'm switching. Right. And you have, and so more than ever, we need to be in that situation. I think, um, you know, the last 80, hundred years, 80 years, um, it's been buy and hold. Uh, put your money in your 401k over the long term. It always goes up 8%, but that's, that's not going to work anymore. So we need to be quick and nimble and ready for a switch. So the reason why we have this massive divide between rich and poor is because if you've owned any assets, houses, stocks, any kind of assets, those have inflated, those have gone up in value Poor the poor don't own those things and they just work for wages, but the wages have gone down. So they make less money today. Their buying power is less while the rich got inflated with assets. So um, what I think is going to happen is, as I said, like the tool, the only tool that these, these uh, central banks have is to print more money. That's all they can do. And they're going to do that until they can't do it anymore. They're not going to wake up tomorrow and go, hmm, maybe we should live within our budget. That's not going to happen. So they're going to go until it doesn't work anymore. And so I believe we're going to see massive inflation, massive money printing, massive debt, uh, as you talked about with the EU doing more QE. And so that's going to push assets up even higher. So um, it, we're, going to have, we're going to have a melt up before the meltdown. And so we want to stay in the market for that because maybe there's another 30% left in this market to go. And so we want to stay in that. So that's going to be, you know, obviously stock markets. I think gold is already doing really, really good. I think gold's still got a lot of room to run, which is more like insurance. Um, Bitcoin, of course, I believe is the best investment opportunity that we have today. Um, all these things. But then we need to be careful because when the thing starts melting down, where do we go? And that's going to be into non-correlated assets, which would be really gold, probably gold and Bitcoin. Now, as you, as you mentioned, you can't really time uh, how this thing is going online and eventually come to a halt. And so one of the biggest concerns is for those that don't have the, the know-how or the knowledge on being able to time it correctly. You know, like on defense, you can, you can tell the ball turned over, get back. But yet if you don't have an eye or pay attention to the markets in a way that someone who does it probably for a living does, then it's going to be hard to get in and get out because as always, when it's time to exit, everybody rushes towards the door. Not everybody will be able to get out. And so 
with that thought in mind there, what are some things that people can do practically? You know, you mentioned some things that get into, but if you were to have an opportunity to give people uh, some, some steps, what would some yeah. steps be? Well, um, it, you know, back to, back to basketball reference, um, you're right. You see the ball switch and so you know to move, but playing basketball, you don't move everybody to offense. You still leave some guys back in defense ready because if that ball switches and breaks, you need to have somebody back there. Mm-hmm. Right. And so investing is the same way. I don't know when that ball is going to switch. So I'm always going to leave some defense, even though I'm playing offense. Mm -hmm. So using that analogy, that's how, that's how I approach it because you're right. We don't know. And nobody, even somebody like me, and there's people a hundred times smarter than me, nobody can guess the tops or bottoms. Nobody can. It's it's not, it's, it's never been able to be done. And so we don't know what we don't know. And so we prepare for both. We, we play offense, but we keep people back for defense at the same time. So more practical steps. It's, uh, it, it's, uh, I, I don't think you knew this, but just a couple, just like a week ago, I put out a, a big report, a free guide that I put together that basically outlines this. I believe there's four pillars that four areas that people should be in to be ready for this. And so one of them is um, I want to remain offensive. So I want to keep some money in growth. So uh, maybe I'll, I'll do like a stock index of like tech stocks that still have, you know, maybe 20, 30% more upside. So I can just play like an index fund on that. Um, I'm definitely going to want to be in Bitcoin, um, which I, like I said, I believe is the best investment opportunity that we have. Now it's risky. So you need to make sure these are done like in risk adjusted positions so I'm not putting everything in Bitcoin. I'm putting enough to balance the risk. Um, but that's, that's definitely one. Um, so growth. But then also I want to have insurance on that. And so if this system melts down, like gold is going to be a big beneficiary of that. So like I believe we should have insurance. Now insurance is something that we should all have, but we don't put all our money into insurance. We buy a little bit of insurance that covers our losses. And so a little bit of gold I think makes sense. Um, also gold mining stocks could also fit in the growth. So growth, insurance, we've got those things covered. Now, when this tide switches, I believe that it's going to be the sell of a lifetime. Meaning if we could have a little bit of patience and wait three, four years to invest in things, we might be able to buy in at you know, 50% cheaper, half price. And so I want to keep some cash. I want to keep cash available uh, to take advantage of that. Now, um, I've figured out some ways that you can make pretty good returns on your cash and stay really liquid. So cash, and then the, the fourth bucket, the fourth pillar, as I call it, is cash flow. And so I believe, and, and I pound the tables on this, that everybody should really be trying to always invest for cash flow. That's always my main purpose of cash flow. And the goal that most people don't realize is that if I can get enough cash flow to pay for my living expenses, I'm out of the game. Mm-hmm. And that's always my goal. So even though I'm investing for growth, I take that growth and put it into cash flow. And, and I've been investing through a couple bear, bear markets. And uh, in 2008, what I noticed is that even though real estate prices dropped by 50%, the rents didn't go down because people still had to rent. And so I want to take, I want cash flow and cash flow is a good, good way to get it is through rental properties. Um, in Detroit, where you're at, you can get those properties for really cheap. You know, there's cheap ways to do that. Um, but there's other ways to get cash flow as well. Obviously, there's like REITs, like, so there's like a stock that you can buy that's in real estate, so I can get cash flow from that. Um, dividend paying stocks, so there's other places to get cash flow. So to recap, um, I want cash flow and insurance. Those are what's going to keep me safe. 
I want cash, liquid cash that's earning interest, but it's liquid and to take advantage of the sale of a lifetime. And I want this growth portfolio to take advantage of this upside that's left in the market. And so all my money's not in growth. That way when the market crashes, even if I were to lose that whole allocation, I still have the rest of my portfolio. See, that's how I'm playing offense and defense. Right. I like that strategy. Now, apart from rethinking a dollar, a lot of the audience here are heavy precious metals enthusiasts. And so, you know, some people are in favor of Bitcoin. Others are not. A lot of people from a conspiratorial standpoint, think you know, the NSA created the government, all that, that approach there. Now, you mentioned Bitcoin a couple of times as a speculative opportunity. Give us some pros and cons or some pros that really have you excited about it for yourself personally. Yeah, definitely. So first thing I would say is that there is this uh, rivalry between Bitcoin and gold. And I like to tell people that we're fighting the same enemy, right? If you're a gold bug or you're a Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoiner, we are both fighting against fiat currency. We are both fighting against government's runaway spending. So uh, from that perspective, we're fighting the same fight. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, then they can fight amongst themselves. And so, you know, Bitcoiners say that gold's not portable and it's hard to store and it's hard to transport. And gold people say, yeah, but the government could get to, you know, NSA could get to it. So, I mean, they have that inner rivalry. Um, but from my perspective, I believe that Bitcoin is, is technology. It's an invention. And I believe it's the greatest technology that's ever been invented that's going to have the most radical shift on human and uh, humans, uh, mankind that's ever been seen before. For the first time in history, we have a global decentralized trust network that we can store and transfer value person to person without a central party or third party administrator. It's never been done ever in the history of the world. And I don't think that people understand how big that is because they don't really understand how the system works. And you talk about the dollar, the dollar is based off of trust. If 1% of the people went to the bank tomorrow and pulled their cash out of the bank, the entire banking system collapses. We trust that the system is there. We trust our politicians not to mess up our currency. We trust Facebook not to sell our data. We trust Wells Fargo not to add additional accounts onto our thing or whatever, right? But we trust all these institutions, these third parties, but it's, it's breaking out. We can't trust anybody. And so Bitcoin gives us a trust list. For the first time in history, they've solved a technological problem. It's called the Byzantine General's uh, Fault System, where basically we don't have to trust anybody because a, a, a network of computers does all the consensus for us. So it solves this trust issue. And I don't think people understand how big that is. And so imagine that we have this global trustless network that we can store and transfer as much value as we want person to person. And today it's only worth $200 billion. It's worth about a third of Facebook, one company. Imagine we have this revolution, this technological revolution, and it's worth a third of Facebook. It's worth a lot more than Facebook. I don't know what it's worth, but it's worth a lot more than Facebook. So anyway, if that, if that sums it up, that's kind of why I'm bullish on it. It's like gold. It allows us to opt out of the, of the financial system. So instead of having my money sitting in a bank, I can put it into gold, take it out of the financial system, or I can put it into Bitcoin and it's also out of the financial system. But it's better than gold because it's portable. I can easily transfer a dollar of it to you or $10 or $10 million or $100 billion to you instantly. Gold, try to move a billion dollars of gold and it's not going to happen, right? And I can't spend a dollar worth of gold either. So it's way more divisible. It's way more portable. Um, but I'm not, but gold has 5,000 years of history. So you can't overlook that. But Bitcoin has 10 and that, that's, that's nothing small either. But I'm not here to choose which one's better. 
I own both. Why wouldn't you? Why do you have to choose the winner? Why not be on both? Well, Mark Moss, it's been great having you here on Rethinking a Dollar. Um, for those that may not be familiar with your work, can you direct them to your work and how to stay in tune with what you have going on to be a blessing to you? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, I mean, the best way is just go to YouTube and type in Mark Moss. I have a channel there and uh, talk about all these types of topics, just uh, the end of the dollar and, and whatnot. So um, go there, check out my last couple of videos. I have a link to a free report that you can download that talks about these four pillars. I think it's like a 20 page report. I kind of went crazy on it, but basically it talks about each of these four areas and goes into depth and shows you like different portfolio breakdowns of where you might be. So it's a free resource for you guys. Just I want to I want to make sure everybody sees the silver lining behind what's happening and, and, and takes advantage of the opportunity. So uh, go to uh, YouTube, type in Mark Moss, go to Twitter, um, number one, Mark Moss. Those are probably the best ways to keep up. Sounds good. Once again, Mark, it's been great hanging out with you and definitely thank you for sharing uh, your perspective on where we're at and where we're heading uh, in this economy, in this world. So once again, it's been great having you on the show. Look forward to continuing to stay in touch with you. Thanks, Mike.